Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor at Phoenix Bible Church. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to do so after the service. We're glad you're here. If you're new with us this morning, maybe you just moved to Phoenix, uh, as some do in the summer. Uh, welcome to the heat, but also uh, welcome to, to church. And hopefully you got some cold brew as you walked in and were greeted. And we'd love to make this uh, just a place uh, of welcome for you and exploration for you. If you don't know Jesus, we love it that you're here. We love that you're going to get to hear God's word, hear who Jesus is uh, in this sermon today. And we'd love for you to to meet him and to know him. Uh, We uh, just read a text that describes uh, the first church. And it describes some of what marked them as a people. Remember, we've said every week of this series, we are PBC, that we are the church. The church is more than a place you go to. It's a people you belong to. And so we are the church. So what what marked the passage that we just read was these people of God, not a building, not an organization, not an institution, but these people of God and what they did in response to God. And that's what we've been going through in this series. If you missed the first two weeks, catch it on the podcast, the website. Uh, But today we're looking at the proclamation and the practices of the people of God. Uh, What marked the first church? What marks our church? What should mark our, our church? And so if you're new to this thing, if you've been coming here since the very beginning, this is going to be helpful to you as far as what we do as a church and why we do it. But I think it's important as we look at a topic like this, proclamation and practice, that our perspective needs to be right on. And the reality is there's, there's two perspectives we could have. One perspective we could have as we look at a text like this, as we look at topics like this, is we could see a list of things to do in order to belong. We're going to talk about communion, and we're going to talk about giving, and we're talking about serving and prayer, and all those things that mark us as the people of God, as the church, but we could look at those things, and if we're not careful, we could see them as things to do in order to belong. I think about my uh, taxes. I've shared this story with some of you before, but uh, the first couple years of marriage, I remember my wife and I would file our taxes, and I don't know how you filed your taxes. The program that I used to use would give me the amount of the refund I was going to get in the top right-hand corner of the screen. Now, I don't file my taxes by myself anymore because I don't want to go to jail uh, so I pay somebody to do that. But, but I used to follow them by myself, and my program showed me the amount of the refund I was going to get in the top right-hand corner of the screen. So I remember as a newly married couple, kind of knew this whole filing taxes as a couple thing, and, and entering all these numbers and documents into the computer and seeing that number grow. And seeing the number grow, and it grew. And I, I began to realize, like, Jaya, my wife, like, we, we're going to get a big fat check. Like, we should do something. Like, start planning the vacation. Like, let's redirect the living room, redecorate the living room. Like, what are we going to do with all this money? And I was on this emotional high because of my refund check, right? Well, something, and, and you filed your taxes, hopefully, right? File your taxes. Good thing to do. Um, something began to happen that was really interesting. I kept putting in numbers. You see, I owned my own business at the time. I was a pastor. I was bivocational, kind of interesting circumstances. And as I began to put more of those details in there, something interesting began to happen to that number in the right-hand corner of the screen. It went from black and a lot of money in my life at the time to going lower and lower and lower and decreasing in amount. And before long, it went into the red. And so get the emotional roller coaster I was on here. 
vacations redecorating the living room to, oh my gosh, we have to pay money to the government? Like, what, what is happening here? And I was on this emotional swing of, of looking at these numbers and thinking, man, this is amazing. Like, I love, I love being an American. It's a great country. Right? They just give us money back. No, I didn't know that you just basically gave an interest-free loan to the government. But that's another conversation for, the, for another day. Um, but I just thought being an American is amazing. Taxes are amazing. Who, who thought they were so bad? I don't get it. To I hate taxes. Can we move to Costa Rica? And how are we going to pay this money to the government, right? And the reality is I, I was keeping score, right? I, I was keeping a tally. And I think for most of us, we, we treat God like that, and we treat our relationships in the church like that. That we do things in order to belong. And so we do things in our week to, to belong. And so we try to read our Bible and we try to come to church and we stand up and we sit down and we hope that God might approve of us and that we may belong. And maybe we don't say that, but we, but we think that way and we have that mindset within us. Right? We do that with each other, the church. We, we, we say something to someone and if they don't respond how we want to, then we, we keep that tally and it starts to, the number starts to drop. But if they respond how we want to, and if the church service was amazing, and the worship and the sermon was amazing, that number begins to rise. And we do that in our relationship with God and with one another in the church, and we keep a tally, and we keep a score. And let's be honest this morning, we all do that at times, and it is exhausting. Because it's that emotional roller coaster. And I see it all the time. I see people come into the church, and, man, they're excited. Like, what can I learn? What classes do you have? I want to serve. And we're like, you can serve once a month for six months. They're like, I want to serve once every week and in, in multiple ways. And then a few months later, you don't see them anymore. What happens? How do they go from that excitement to that downfall? Something happens. Like there's a conflict with somebody. Sin pops up in their life. And, and that number that, that was so high and so awesome, it starts to drop. It starts to go into the red, and they feel indebted. And they feel like maybe I shouldn't come to church today because, you know, I haven't been living right this week. Or oh, that person, I mean, he wasn't really nice to me. Or nobody's set by me. Or there's some conflict in my community group. And maybe for about three months we have this high, and then we fall off. And and we either leave the church completely or we just come every once in a while and just step our foot in the door and take a peek at what's going on, right? And so the reality is, as we look at this list, it's really important that we don't see church that way, that we don't see proclamation and practices of the church as, as things to do in order to belong, but instead we see them as things to do because we already belong, right? We already belong. And so the reality for you this morning, if you know Jesus, that as you stepped in this room, you're already loved. Right? The reality is, if you know Jesus, as you begin to serve this morning or, or give later today, that as you take communion later today, as you pray, that you're doing those things because you're already accepted by the blood of Jesus on your behalf. That on your worst day, you belong. On your best day, you belong. Not because of your merit or worth, but because of the cross of Christ and your belief in Jesus. And so we do things this morning. We're going to look at some things to do, and they're good things. But we have to get the perspective right. We do these things because we already belong, right? 
And so when conflict pops up, when sin pops up, we don't hop out of the church. We step further into the church because it's the place, it's the people of God where we're accepted, we're loved, and we belong. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so that's how we approach this list of things. It's It's a duty, right? It's a delight, not a duty. Vast difference. These things because we know we're supposed to. We do these things because we, we get to. And so what are these things that we do because we belong to Jesus? Three things we're going to talk about today. That we are devoted to Jesus and one another. That we give generously and that we gather regularly. So look at verse 42 again with me. We're devoted to Jesus and one another. This is our proclamation. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? Well, if you look at it, it's Old Testament scriptures, and it's the life of Jesus, and specifically how he fulfilled them. How do we know that? Well, we see a tangible example of that right before this passage in chapter 2. You have one of the apostles, that's Peter, who's preaching to a large crowd. Maybe you've heard that. That's how the church began. 3,000 people believed in Jesus and were baptized. But Peter is giving this huge sermon where that's the response. But his sermon, he talks about David, King David from the Old Testament. That's Old Testament scriptures. But he doesn't stop with David. He goes on to talk about Jesus and how David ultimately points to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's our hope, and he's our Savior. And people respond to that. So one of the apostles, Peter, is teaching And he teaches Old Testament, but he teaches how it points to Jesus. Remember, the apostles had just spent three years of their life watching Jesus heal, do miracles, die on a cross for their sin, rise again, ascend into heaven, give them a mission, a purpose, as we talked about last week. Give them the Holy Spirit, right? And so they teach the Old Testament scriptures, but they also teach the culmination of that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so what is the apostles teaching? Essentially, it's the gospel, it's Jesus, the good news about his life, death, and resurrection, what that means for us. And it's the Bible. And so it's Jesus in the Bible. That's what we proclaim in our devotion to Jesus. We proclaim Jesus, we proclaim the Bible. And so we do that together today as a church. And some of you are thinking, Tim, of course. What else would we proclaim? What else is there to proclaim other than Jesus and the Bible? And I hope you think that if you've been coming to Phoenix Bible Church for any length of time. I hope that that's your response. But the reality is, is there are some other things we could proclaim, right? There's tradition. There's adding to Scripture. There's preference. They're selecting only certain Scriptures, Right? There's tradition that we want to add certain things and equate them with Scripture. And it's not that traditions are bad. Some of you grew up in a Catholic faith. Some of you grew up in a more liturgical faith. And, and you love traditions, right? And we love traditions as a church. But the reality is there's, there's Jesus and the Bible and then there's traditions. And for a lot of us, and maybe you grew up this way as we flip these, don't we? We say, well, tradition and then Jesus and the Bible, and we'll make it all work. I grew up in a, in a way uh, where I experienced that. Some of you have grown up in a way where, where certain things were elevated, certain things were diminished, and maybe you asked a question why at some point, and people just said, it's the way 
We've always done it. It's tradition. So we add to Scripture. Not bad, but it is bad when we equate it with Scripture. The second thing we proclaim is preference. We select only certain Scriptures. That new ideas come up in our culture. That we start to believe we've progressed beyond God. And so we need to change some things. New things that we enjoy that, that maybe Scripture says is wrong. We say, well, God... Maybe he didn't realize the progression of culture when he wrote the Bible. Even though he created and sustained everything, maybe, maybe this is shocking him, some things in our culture, and we need to go back and we need to select certain ones and leave out some other ones because they don't apply anymore. And we proclaim our, our preferences. We, we proclaim our preferences when we start to do uh, science and, and technology and think we're smarter than God. And so we, we go back and we think, well, the Da Vinci Code, I mean, maybe it had some good insight, right? I mean, the Discovery Channel, I mean, these guys talk like they're really eloquent and smart. I mean, maybe we should go back and leave some things out and adjust some things. And so we, we proclaim tradition and we proclaim preference. And you need to know, for Phoenix Bible Church, we want to engage in those things, right? We're not going to be ignorant of those things and just say, well, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. We want to engage in conversations. We want to study. We want to know how many manuscripts we have of Scripture and how many copies on copies we have and how it's way more than any ancient text. We want to know those things and be able to conversate about those things with our neighbors, with our professors, with our friends, with our coworkers. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to engage in them, but we're not going to proclaim them, right? We're going to stand on Scripture. We're going to proclaim the Bible, proclaim Jesus, because it's from God, and it helps us know And we see this, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. That phrase, breathed out, this is the only time it's used in Scripture. It's literally a two-part word that says, theonoustos, theonoustos, that it's given by God. It's literally breathed out by God through people. It's inspired. You may have heard that word before. It means it comes from God. It was written by man, but it comes from God. And so it's 66 books, 40-plus authors, three different languages over 1,500 years. It's not speculation. It's supernatural revelation. This is your Bible. Hopefully you have a physical copy in your hand. If you don't, you can grab one and look along. Hopefully you have one at home that you read. This is what we proclaim, right? And no matter what the Discovery Channel says, like nobody got in a room and got their story straight. Like nobody got into a room and just figured all this out and said, hey, how can we trick the world for all time and proclaim this Jesus? Forty different authors, Over 1,500 years, 66 books. There is no other book in history like it. We have other books written by one author. We have other books written at one specific time in the world. 66 books, 40-plus authors over 1,500 years. This is breathed out. Theonoustos comes from God. And so we, we trust it. And what we see in 2 Timothy 3 as well is it's profitable it says several things of how it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, and so we get data and concepts and accounts that inform our lives from the Bible. It reproves us. How many of you have, have listened to a sermon at one point and said, Man, he must be talking about me. Like, how did you know, like, your wife? Like, did you tell him? 
Did you email him? Like, how did you know? And, and the reality is, and you need to know this because I do get some questions like that from time to time. I don't know, right? I know some of you and I know some of your stories, but the reality is most of the time, I don't know. Your wife didn't email me. It's the Holy Spirit reproving you. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you that you show up to church and you're like, I think he's talking about me. And the reality is I am because God's talking through me to you. So scripture is profitable. It teaches us. It reproves us. It corrects us. It doesn't just point out the sin and convict us of sin. It corrects us. It shows us ways to overcome sin. It trains us in righteousness. It helps us be more like Jesus. That's all in 2 this is what scripture does, right? Because it's from God and it works in and through our lives. And so this church, Phoenix Bible Church, you need to hear me on this, is not led by a personality, is not led by a preference, isn't led by a person. That the, the Phoenix Bible Church that you and I participate in, it is led by, it's directed by the proclamation of God's word. That it informs and affects everything we do the way we know about God, the way we teach doctrine, the way we teach classes, the way we teach in community groups, the way we counsel you one-on-one -on -one about who God is, what he's done, it comes from here. We have no other foundation as a church other than the proclamation of God's word. That's why it's in our name, because it elevates Jesus. It speaks to us. It informs and affects everything we do. It informs our beliefs and so some of you guys went through our membership class. We talked about our beliefs. We have those on the website under About Us. You can read through all those. We get those not just of like, hey, what do you want to believe today? Or what does tradition tell us to believe? Or preferences tell us to believe? We get those directly from the word of God. We get what we teach on Sunday, what we do in groups, what we talk about personally, all from God's word because that is our proclamation. And so we're devoted to Jesus through the proclamation of his word. And we're also devoted to one another. Look at verse 42 again with me. It says, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so it gets into some of our practices. Our proclamation is God's word and Jesus. And then out of that, we're devoted to one another in different practices. And I read a quote this week that I think is really helpful. It's from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's an old pastor and theologian. And he said this, listen. He said, I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine and the other half telling them, doctrine is not enough. That's a good way to say it. That our proclamation is important. Again, it's in our name, Phoenix Bible Church. We love preaching the word of God. We love talking about Jesus, declaring what he has done. Proclamation is important, but it means nothing if it doesn't lead to practice, right? That doctrine, the teaching of God's word, that's what that means. It's important, but it's not enough. It doesn't help us if we intellectually gain some new information. We need a new inclination. We need a transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit through God's word that changes our whole lives. Right? And so we begin to practice things with one another. And we see that is fellowship. And we get fellowship defined for us. Verse 42, by breaking of bread, that's communion and prayer. So communion, we take communion every week as a church. Maybe you're wondering why we do that, especially if you're new to this thing or even come from a different tradition. I was talking to somebody the other day who has a, a Catholic friend 
and they were talking about church and their different experiences, and their Catholic friend began to explain how communion works because they thought we didn't take communion and that they were the only ones who did that, right? And so this couple was like, we take communion? Come on. I mean, they got defensive about it a little bit because we take communion every week because we want to remember and proclaim the word of God, Jesus Christ, crucified in our place for our sins. That's why we do it every week. We see that in a passage like 1 Corinthians 11, 23. It says this, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So twice in that passage you heard remember and then you heard proclaim. And so why do we take it every week? Does it become monotonous? Does it become routine? It does if we let it, right? But it doesn't if we remember why we do it. We want to remember, proclaim. As often as we do this, we're, we're remembering the blood of Jesus shed for sin, that we're forgiven. Again, on our best day, on our worst day, if we have faith in Jesus. And so we want to remember that every single week. We want to proclaim that to people who don't know Jesus every single week. So we take communion. The way we do that, again, different from the Catholic church, maybe different from some, some other churches that you've been to. And that's okay. There's different methods to take communion. What we do is at the end of the sermon, we pray and we're led into a time of remembering the cross, and we invite you to come. And so you'll see two tables right down at the front that have juice and wine. And then there's bread, and we invite you to come when you feel led and, and take the bread and dip it in the juice or the wine and go back to your seat and pray with your spouse, pray by yourself, pray with a friend who brought you, and remember Jesus. Confess your sins to Jesus. Repent before Jesus. And celebrate that his blood has paid for all your sin, past, present, and future. That's how we do it, right? Because we want to practice what we proclaim. And then we pray. It's the second part of fellowship with one another. We pray with one another and for one another. Uh, this week, um, I went to a funeral of my aunt. Uh, it was sudden and unexpected. Her death was. It happened last Friday night. Uh, I got a call that my Aunt Kay had passed away, and I literally had to ask, is there another Aunt Kay? Uh, because there's no way this Aunt Kay ha had passed away. She wasn't sick, no health problems, and she walked into the hospital, uh, fainted, and literally didn't make it back to the ER room uh, before she didn't have a pulse. And so I, I got that message on Friday night, and I began to hear from family and, and talk, and it was this sudden and unexpected death, and a lot of you have experienced that from family members. And as soon as we realized that, I had to make a decision. Am I going to preach on Sunday? I mean, I was conflicted. Do I go be with my dad and family and his sisters? And everybody was floored by this, and they live in Texas, so I can't just swing by, right, and bring a meal. We have to fly there. We have three kids. Like, what are we going to do? And so Saturday, as I was preparing for Sunday, all that stuff was going through my mind, and I, and I decided to stay, and I decided to preach, and we would go later in the week and be there for the visitation and the funeral and all those things. And so that's what we did. But uh, what I did, as soon as I knew I was going to preach, was I reached out 
to probably 10 people in our church, and I said, hey, would you, would you guys just pray for me? Because I, I'm distracted right now. I'm feeling like I should be in another place, but I'm in this place, and it's hard for me to focus on what we're going to preach tomorrow. And I said, would you just pray for my family? Would you just pray uh, for me as I preach? And, and all of those people responded, I'm praying for you right now. I'm praying for you, brother. I just prayed for you. And what was encouraging is these people in my life weren't just friends, weren't just people in my church, parishioners as they call them. I don't know why they call you that. I'm sorry. Uh, But I realized that these people were family, that they were devoted to Jesus, the proclamation of his word, but they were also devoted to the fellowship of one another, of taking communion together, of praying for one another. And not just a pithy, I'll pray for you, thoughts and prayers with you. Like anybody can do that and not pray. Let's be honest, we've all done that at times. But these men in my life, they actually prayed for me and it encouraged me and it equipped me. And so I was able to get up and preach and then we were able to go to Texas and go to Shreveport, Louisiana to a funeral and a visitation and all those things. And and people continued to reach out this week and just said, hey, we're, we're praying for you. And that helped. And thank you for praying for me. And I'm glad that others of you pray for one another, not just when somebody dies, but when you're going to work, when you're going through a hardship, when you're going through sin, that we pray for one another as a church. That's one of our practices as a church because it matters, right? It mattered for us this week. But what I love about that is sometimes our prayers need action, our prayers, your prayers needed action this week. We, we have three kids. One of them is a two-year-old. And if you've ever flown with a two-year-old, then you would know we need more than prayer, right? We need somebody to watch her and take that little baby so we can go and be with the family. And so we divvied up two families in our church. They watched little Tanavi for us, and she was driving from one house to another. She wasn't driving, you know. But she was carried from one place to another, and we were FaceTiming with her, and we knew she was in good hands because people not only prayed for us, but they were there for us in tangible ways. They took our little two-month-old, two-year-old baby, and it allowed us to be present with family and and pray for others in our family and and be supportive that way because we don't just proclaim God's word. It affects, it makes us family. We're devoted to, to Jesus, but also one another. I hope you have stories like that in our church. I hope you stay long enough in our church where you have stories like that. That on good days, when when you get the promotion, when you're doing well and the sin struggle, it seems like a distant memory when you're reading scripture on those good days when you show up to your community group or to an event and you're excited about Jesus and excited about your family and excited about your friendships. I hope that people are praying for you and living that out in action to you. But I hope also on your worst day when you've lost someone, when you're in sickness, in strife, in sin, in that moment you're still in there, that people are praying for you and they're helping you and they're showing the fellowship of God to you. That's what we're a part of as Phoenix Bible Church. Again, we say it every week, it's more than a place you go to, it's a people you belong to. So I hope you experience that. I hope you stay long enough to experience that. And what that leads to is awe. Verse 43, look at that verse. It says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
doing through his people, that miracles, that signs were being performed to validate everything they had heard about Jesus. Right? You got to remember, some of these people had never seen Jesus. Right? Some of these people are believing in what the apostles are testifying about the work and person of Jesus, but they had never seen him. And so they needed to be convinced and it needed to be validated. They didn't have 66 books, 40 plus authors over 1,500 years to go off of. Right? They had the testimony of the apostles. And so Jesus began to do mighty works through the power of the Holy Spirit, through them, to validate who Jesus was. He is the only Son of God. He's delivering them from sin. He will come back again. That was a profound message that needed to be validated. And so it was by signs and wonders. And they were filled with awe. Now it begs the question, does God still do this today? Right? Are there still miracles and signs like this today? And, and the thing I would say is we believe yes. Maybe not as frequent, maybe not in the exact same way, but we believe yes. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us that that's done with. We believe God is still powerful. He's still moving. His people are still following him, and he's still moving in mighty ways through his church. But we also believe he's already moved. And we see it in his word, and we have the signs, and we have the wonders. And so some of you are thinking, Tim, where's my sign, right? I mean, if God would just give me a miracle and give me a sign, I mean, then I would walk with him and give my life to him and pray for one another and be there for one another. Like, I would do that if I got a sign, if I got a, a, a miracle from God. And the reality is, God's already given you a sign. You're holding it in your hand. We have the words of God, the very words of God preserved for us throughout centuries that you and I can crack open and just read today. You have your sign. And maybe God gives you a new one, and maybe you experience a miracle later in life, and I hope you do. But even if he never gives you that, you have your sign. It's revealed to you in his word. And so does God still do this today? Yeah. I mean, some of you have stories. Some of you have seen this. Uh, we've seen this. I won't share all the ways we've seen this, but uh, my wife's back. My wife broke her back when we lived in Portland, Oregon, uh, sledding down a mountain. I'll let you ask her the story. But uh, she broke her back, and she didn't have to have surgery, but, man, she was out. And, again, we have kids, and so that didn't bode well. Uh, for our rhythms in life, and so we were about two weeks into this. She's taking pain pills, and, uh, and we're just like, you know, it says in Scripture that we should bring the elders over and anoint her with oil and pray for her, and so we did that, and the elders at our church at the time, they came over, and they prayed over my wife, and the next day, she didn't get up and start line dancing, you know. I, I don't know why she would do that anyway. She doesn't do that. Uh, she, didn't, she never line dances, right, so she didn't do that. Uh, she didn't get up and, like, start running around where she was laid up in bed for two weeks before that. But the next day, she felt better. And it was the first day she didn't have to take a pain pill. Nothing had changed. The, the timeline, I think, it was four to six weeks, four to six months. I can't remember. But two weeks in, she felt better because God moved, right? That's a miracle, right? There's miracles all around us. And the reality is sometimes we just don't pay attention to them, right? Sometimes what we do is we magnify the trial and we miss the miracle. You guys do this? You magnify the trial in life. So when things are going bad, when there is sin, when there's conflict, when there's sickness, you're like, God, 
can't you just take this away from me? I mean, aren't, aren't I your beloved son and daughter? Like, can you just take this away? Why is this happening? Why are we always short on finances? Why are the kids so crazy? We magnify the trial. And then we miss the miracle. Have you done that? You get an email from somebody that's hurtful or it's not a good thing from work or from somebody in our church. And you're like, man, just why would they say that like that? And why would this happen to me at my job? And, and why would he or she do this? And you immediately go to your spouse. You go to your friend. You blog about it. You post some vague comment on Facebook to really get at them, right? And we do that. We magnify the trial. You get a good email. Somebody brings you flowers. You're like, oh, yeah, that happened. But you know what I'm saying? Like that person, like if I ever am near them again, I'm going to tell them off. We magnify the trial. We miss the miracle. I do that in my life. We do that as a church. We have an amazing facility. I don't know if you can look around right now and just see. We have seating. Nobody in here set up chairs today. Amen. We have lights. And these lights specifically, nobody set up. We installed them a long time ago. We have a gigantic stage. Like I can walk around, stretch my legs. I mean, we could be meeting in a cafeteria as a new church. That happens for new churches, church plants. But we're not. We have an amazing auditorium. Now, sometimes is the AC out? Yes, right? Like sometimes do they move our storage around? Yes, right? And sometimes do we magnify that? Yes, I do that, right? On a Sunday morning before we start church. Like where do they put this stuff, right? Where's my clipboards? Does anybody know? Seriously, anybody know where the clipboards are? Like, I magnify the trial, but I miss the miracle, and we all do this, that there's a church here that wasn't here before, that there's people proclaiming God's word in their neighborhoods that weren't doing that before. There's people in this room singing about Jesus and his goodness and his love and his mercy who never sang in their life before because they thought it was awkward. But now they don't care because Jesus has done a work in their life through Phoenix Bible Church. There's people who have been baptized here in this auditorium right? that, that weren't baptized, didn't know Jesus before. There's best friends, there's marriages that exist today that didn't before because God formed a new church and has us meeting in a school in central Phoenix. Do you see that? Don't miss the miracle and magnify the trial. Don't do that in our church. Don't do that in your life. So God still moves. We just need to see it. Here's another practice that we do as a church. We give generously. Look at verse 44 with me. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So a couple things as you look at that. They had all things in common. That doesn't mean affinities, right? That doesn't mean they played disc golf together or they played cards on Friday night together or they all were vegetarians or they'd never eaten a green bean in their life, right? It doesn't mean any of that. They shared all things in common, meaning that all of their resources, all of their things, all of their financial resources, they shared They had all things in common. And so it's the equivalent of when your neighbor says, hey, can I borrow some sugar? Does that still happen? Right? And you're like, oh, sure. 
Absolutely. Here's some sugar. I don't know how you give them sugar, but, right? You have all things in common. Like, what's yours is mine. You want to come and swim in my pool? Go ahead. Tim, your family, you want to come and swim in my pool? Like, come over. If you want to invite me to do that, that's, that's what this is talking about. It's biblical. Right? It's everything is shared, and it's not communism. It's not like we, we have to do this, right, by the government. It's not sanctioned. We do this because we love one another. And so we, we have all things in common, and that's what they were experiencing. And then they give generously. It says they sold things. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had needs. So they were sacrificial and generous. And you need to know this works against the very fabric of our culture. That our culture will tell us two things. It will tell us consume and preserve. Consume and preserve. We see it in Phoenix big time, right? There's golf courses, there's resorts, there's restaurants. Again, all fun things. There's people excelling in their jobs. And what we are told by our culture, every magazine we pick up, every billboard we see is preserve is consume for ourselves, right? And so you need to realize what this is describing is only possible through Jesus and that Jesus does the opposite. He gives us the command to steward and to give. There's three reasons, three reasons why that is. I'm going to give you those just briefly. The first reasons we steward and give instead of um, preserving and consuming, the first reason we do that is it's all God's. Deuteronomy 10, it says that everything in the heavens, in the highest heavens, in the earth, and all that is in it belong to God. And so, so we share things in common. We sell things and give sacrificially and generously because it's all God's to begin with. It's not ours. Right, so there's nothing to preserve. Right? It's not ours. It's, it's God's. And you need to know when he says in Deuteronomy, the heavens and the highest heavens and the earth and all that is in it, that your wallet is included in that. Right? That your things are included in that. Your house is included in that. The earth, the heavens, and all that is in it, it's all his, and that applies to you. And so we don't have to try to consume and grab at everything possible and preserve for us. We have the freedom to say, it's all God's. It's like I can share it with you because it's not even mine to begin with. And I can sell it, right? I can even sell my car that I've had since I was 16 and that is my trophy in my driveway because it's not mine. And so I can give it freely. I can steward what I have. And I can give it away. So we do that because it's all God's. The second way, reason we do that is because it works. I won't belabor this, but we talk about this in Financial Peace University, that when you begin to budget and give generously, that you have to actually spend your money and your money doesn't spend you. You have to really think about where it's all going. When you're giving 10% in a tithe or offering, you have to really consider what are we going to do with the rest, right? And so when you start to give, the reality is at first it's hard. Listen, we do this as a family. It's hard. You're like, we could put that money in so many other places. It's hard. But the reality is over time you start to budget. You carefully spend everything instead of just flippantly spend anything that you have. And over a few months, and people will testify to this in Financial Peace University, you're like, man, I feel like, Things are better financially, and we're giving more away than we ever have. How does that happen? It's 
because it works. This is how you were designed. The third reason we steward and give instead of consume and preserve is we get to be a part of this thing. I remember, I grew up in church, so maybe this won't relate to you, but uh, I remember growing up in church. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and uh, my dad at sometimes would let me put money in the offering. Anybody else have that story? Probably just me as a weird church kid. Um, but my dad would sometimes say, like, hey, buddy, here's a dollar. You put it in the plate. And I'd be like, me? Really? I get to do that? And so the plate would come by, and I'm all ready, and I got the dollar, and I drop it in the plate, and I just feel like I'm done. Like, I'm walk out this place now. I've done my part, right? This is amazing. I don't even make a salary, but I just gave. Anybody see that? And it was this amazing thing that I got to be a part of. And the reality is, it wasn't mine, right? That dollar was my dad's. All I had to do is take it from my dad and drop it in the offering. And I got the joy of giving, of being a part of what God was doing in and through his church. And the reality is, every time an offering plate passes and you put money in there or you give online, that's what you're getting to do as well. It's not yours, but your father in heaven let you be a part of it. He could have done this thing another way, right? He could have dropped money from the sky and started Phoenix Bible Church and started other churches. He he could have dropped money from the sky and allowed us to do missions and all the good things we can do in the world. God could have done this any other way. He's God. But he lets you and I be a part of it. He says, I'm going to resource you and give you a salary and financial resources, whatever that may be, Whatever you make is a gift from God, and I'm going to let you put the dollar in the offering plate. You didn't have to do that. But he wants to work in you as he works through you. And we get to be a part of what he's doing. And so we give generously as a church because of generosity. There's people in Portland, Oregon, who give to this church once a month so that we could be here almost three years in. There's a guy in Amarillo, Texas, who every month gifts to this church so we could be here, so we could start a new church. He writes me a note every time and is like, hey, I just listened to part one of We Are PBC. You guys keep rocking, keep living for Jesus. He's in Amarillo, Texas. I didn't know him before we started the church. He heard about us. He works in construction. My dad works in construction. He was like, hey, my son's in Phoenix. He's like, hey, let me watch that video. And then he started giving to our church, and they brought a team here. Some of you guys were a part of this, of 90 people who helped us put on a vacation Bible school. We're here because of people's generosity. We're here because of some of your generosity. If you give to this church, you need to know it goes towards mission. I don't know if you can tell, but we do things kind of streamlined around here. And we don't have staff yet, and we want to add all those things. We don't have a permanent facility. We want to... We want to not miss the miracle right now and and not magnify the trial, but we do want a location. We do want to build this thing so we can do more. And so thank you for your generosity, for allowing us to get to this point. But if you're not participating in that, I would encourage you to because it's all God's, it works, and we get to be a part of it as we do that. So we're here because of generosity, and we're here as we gather regularly. Look at verse 46 as we close. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so I want you to see four words, temple and homes, Glad and sincere. Temple and homes, that's where the places they met in. So that would be the equivalent of today we're meeting in an auditorium, right? We're all gathered together today, but we meet throughout the week in in homes as well. 
And neither one is more holy than the other one, but it's an opportunity to gather regularly as the people of God who fellowship with one another. And the way we do that is with glad and sincere hearts, right? Glad and sincere hearts. Some of you come to church, and maybe you grew up in a church like this where it was boring, right? And you just know, I'm supposed to stand up, I'm supposed to sit down, and it's this monotonous routine that I'm supposed to do to get in good with Jesus or to have my name called on the last day. And, and that's all it was for you, and it wasn't this glad thing. You need to know, we should come to church and be a little bit more joyous, right? If you've listened to anything I said, hopefully that gives you some, some joy, does it? Maybe? Later? Right? We have joy because of, we don't do these things in order to belong. We do these things because we already belong. We're loved, accepted, we belong because of Jesus. That's amazing. We're reconciled to the creator and sustainer of the universe through Jesus Christ, that's when we gather in homes and on Sundays, right? And so we do that with glad hearts. We do name tags. We do fun things like a photo booth because we walk in this freedom of knowing Jesus and being known by him. And we do this sincerely, that because of the gospel, we proclaim that we don't have it all together, Right? Jesus does. And so this morning, I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what your morning looked like. But if you know Jesus, you can be sincere. You don't have to fake it till you make it, even in this room, even afterwards. You can be sincere of like, I had a rough week. I'm not exactly where I want to be with Jesus. My marriage has some dysfunction in it. You can be honest about that and sincere about that. Why? Because of the gospel. Because it's not about your merit. It's about the work and person of Jesus. And so this was a rough week for me, right? We got in yesterday late afternoon and picked up uh, our little two-year-old, and she took all of her bent-up frustration out on us last night and this morning. She was sweet. Like, the people who watched her in our church was like, why didn't you take her? She's just a sweet little thing. And I'm like, yes, she is sweet, but she is so sinful. Like, you, you just didn't see it yet, right? And so it was like going from zero of, like, two kids. This was easy, right? To three kids and, like, mass pandemonium last night and this morning. Like, she wanted to sleep with us, and she cried throughout the night. All those things. Parents, you, you know, amen, right? This happens, right? So we had a rough week. But, but I can be sincere with you about that now, hopefully, right? I can be sincere with you about that now, but I can also be glad because even in the midst of a rough week, I know Jesus, I'm gathered with his people, we're praying with one another, we're giving generously to one another, we get to be a part of this thing, we get to meet and sing songs in a space in downtown Phoenix to Jesus, and we're accepted and loved and we belong to him. And so we do all these things, not because I had a great week or I had a good morning or because my baby didn't cry and was a saint. Not because of any of those things, right? But because of Jesus. And so we gather together regularly with glad hearts, with sincere hearts. I hope that you know that. I hope that today you don't try to fake it till you make it. Right where you are, you know Jesus loves you. And you walk in that. And you get help where you need help. And you confess where you need to confess. The last thing we see is there's an amazing result. Verse 47, that they were praising God and enjoying the favor for all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being 
saved. We'll get into this more next week as we talk about church potential. But what you see in this verse is that when your practice matches your proclamation, it's powerful. You praise God, you have joy, and people join the family. Again, why? Because we don't do things in order to belong. We do things because we already belong. We have joy. We no longer have to keep score. We're freed from that by the blood of Jesus. And so next week, we're going to talk about if we were to proclaim this, if we were to practice this, what would that look like for us? Right? We see that people were praising God. There was joy. People were being added to their number daily. What would that look like in Phoenix with Phoenix Bible Church? What's our potential as a church if we were to proclaim Jesus and his word and practice these things because we belong to him? And so we'll talk about that next week. Today, uh, we're going to practice some of these things right now. We're going to actually do this. We're going to give and take an offering in a moment. And we're also going to take communion and remember and proclaim the death of Jesus in our place for our sin. I'd encourage you to do that with a glad and with a sincere heart this morning because you have the freedom to do so in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I do thank you for an opportunity to gather with your people. I pray that there are stories in this room that are being thought about right now about how they've been recipients of the people of God, bought by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that right now there would be thoughts this morning of, of these people realizing ways they need to be that for other people and ways they need to, to give generously and sacrificially and pray for one another and devote themselves to Jesus and his word God, I pray that we would realize we're recipients of this, but we're also practicers of this and practitioners of this, that we partake in this together. We don't sit on the sidelines. You've given us the opportunity by the Spirit of God to be a part of this thing. And so, God, I pray that we would do that. I do pray now as we take the offering, as we take communion, that we would do these things out of a joy that we do belong with you, and that would never get old or tired for us even as we take communion and as we sing, that we would do that with joy, with glad hearts for everything you have accomplished for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.